Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is always one of my favorite shows we get to do every year. This is Isaac Shade, the host of Locked On Tar Heels, and J.J. Jackson, the host of Locked On Blue Devils, coming together for the first Duke Carolina matchup of the year, round one of what I'm always hoping is three. J.J., I don't know about you. I'm always looking for let's get an ACC tournament matchup as well. Uh, But, man, it's great to be together. Great to see your face. Uh, It's been a minute. I know you're a busy man. So, folks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into this thing. We're going to talk the Blue Devil side of things first. Then we'll go to the Tar Heels, and then we'll look at the game itself. So, JJ, let's catch up on this year for Duke thus far. Um, Just big picture. Year two for John Shire. What's kind of the vibes around the program? Uh, pretty exciting vibes, Isaac. Glad to be doing this here with you once again. We know these big games are coming up, but there's a lot on the line in this game in particular. Both of these teams kind of staring right there at the top of the ACC standings. With Duke basketball, they've won 11 of their last 12, so playing really good basketball. A little bit of a rocky start in the non-conference so far this season and some injuries along the way. But right now, knock on wood for all Duke (laughs) basketball and college basketball fans right now, everyone appears to be in great standing in regards to their health going into Saturday's game, which is what we want at the end of the day, right? We want the Stars to be able to play in a game like this. And clearly, when you've watched Duke this season, they have been at their best when everybody is available. This is a Duke basketball team that we'll talk about, but John Shire very frequently talks about having six starters on this team night in, night out. It's really difficult to predict which five will get to start and then who becomes that sixth starter that's still going to play 25, 30 minutes a game. But, uh, yeah, all in all, I think there are a couple of games you'd love to have back if you're Duke, but this is a really fun and exciting team that I certainly have enjoyed watching all year long. Yeah, both schools would like to get back down to Atlanta and see if they can do better (laughs) against the Yellow Jackets there. Well, JJ, you just said it, six starters. For those who haven't necessarily been tracking, perhaps, with Duke all year, list those guys out and and just a little snippet on each of them, maybe. Yeah, no, two front court players that you're familiar with for North Carolina fans, having watched them play last season. uh, They're both sophomores, and Kyle Filipowski, the ACC preseason Player of the year, seven feet tall. You know his inside-out game that he's got. And then additionally, Mark Mitchell as well, the lefty kind of 3-4 type player who's Duke's best defender all in all, I would say, out there. Uh, He's had a really tough start to the year shooting the basketball, but it's starting to pick it up as of late, which is a really positive sign for him. So those are the two guys on the interior. And then it's a backcourt. That's made up of four guards. And again, there are only three other spots to look at. So Wait, you're telling me that in basketball, you can only play five guys at a <laughs> yes, time? Yes, they have what? not changed the rules. <laughs> JJ, this is bonkers. We've changed a lot, right? We've got NIL <laughs> and the transfer portal and all these other big changes, but still only five guys out on the court at once. So uh, with Mark Mitchell's injury, there were moments where Duke did play just Kyle Filipowski and then four guards surrounding him. So truly a team that's got six starters. But those four guards, of course, the senior leader, a senior captain, and Jeremy Roach, who's playing absolutely incredible basketball. If there was not a player in Chapel Hill by the name of R.J. Davis, the entire country would be talking more about Jeremy Roach 
and kind of All-American buzz, one of the top guards in the conference because he's been that special this season for Duke. Another familiar name in the sophomore, Tyrese Proctor from Australia, who's back, reclassified a year early, similar to Elliot Cadeau. So glad to see Proctor back yet again for another season. He's had a couple of injuries along the way, but he is really heating up at the yeah. best time of the year. Yeah. Uh, and then two, two tref, true freshmen, excuse me, in uh, Caleb Foster and Jared McCain. Both those guys offer a little bit different things on the offensive end of the floor. I love shooting Isaac, and it doesn't get better than Jared McCain out there and how much joy he plays the game of basketball with. So those six guys right there, Filipowski, Mitchell, and then the guards, Roach, Proctor, McCain, and Foster, a really good bunch for this Duke basketball team. JJ, let me ask it to you this way. If you were John Shire, A, we'd you know, you'd be a better looking man than you already are. You'd make more money than you do. But thirdly, what five would you roll with if you were the man in charge of making that starting five? Yeah, I think, and I would predict that it's going to be this way on Saturday, simply given how Monday night went against Virginia Tech in that Caleb Foster played the fewest minutes of mm. the bunch. Mm. I think Duke is finally at a place where Proctor and Roach, who have had injury concerns and have missed a couple of games with nagging ankles or knee injuries along the way. They both appear to be good to go. And then just Jared McCain's shooting ability uh, is is unbelievable and and such a big energy-type player for the Stoop team. I think he has absolutely earned the right to be out there on the floor. And then while the four-guard lineup has certainly worked for Duke at times, I think there's just too much value in what Mark Mitchell can do on the defensive end of the floor, rebounding the basketball, and then, of course, we have to have Kyle Filipowski out there because he's incredible. That's right. He sure is. Uh, JJ, you talked about Mark Mitchell. And from the outside looking in, everyone saw the social media thing from his dad and that whole scenario. And I think from the outside looking in, some people probably thought like, oh, there's consternation in inside the ranks. But I almost saw it more as a like, no, this is a good calling out. It's like, hey, we're trying to grow and get better from inside the Duke lines. How did that story play out? Yeah, I mean, certainly the the outside world was talking about it a little bit, but uh, nobody really addressed. I mean, Mark Mitchell was asked about it directly following the very next game and talked about, look, my dad is my dad. He's not me. He's allowed to say what he wants to say. Keep it moving and did not pay much matter to it. So um, everybody has their own different way of, of motivating their children, <laughs> I guess. Um, I thought it was quite interesting. I think many other people did as well. But he clearly heard the message because for folks that aren't aware, Mark Mitchell started one for 17 from three-point range this season. That's 6%. He shot about 35 36% last year, so about 30% better. And as of late, he's on a run of hitting like five of his last nine or something like that from the outside. So clearly going in the right direction. He's not forcing as many shots from the outside. And he's still an efficient scorer when he puts his head down and just kind of gets to the rim, offensive rebound, putbacks, and that sort of thing. It seems like such a healthy way to handle that is just make it a nothing burger and like, yep. look, it is what it is. Let's move on. Uh, people just end up making bigger things of it than they need to. No kidding. With that. Um, JJ, one final question here before we kind of switch chairs. You mentioned all the various injuries. And like you said, I'm right with you, man. I never want people to be out. I'm all like for these young men being on the court all over the country, like, cause we want to see the best players play in the biggest games. 
How do you think that the various injuries and guys in and out has either benefited and or hurt this team so far? I think it's taught us about this basketball team in terms of the depth, which is a big Mm. picture kind of takeaway from this, Isaac. I I think that this was a perfect opportunity for a few more of the younger guys on the Duke basketball team to take a step forward and to get more put on their plate. And for whatever reason, for each of them individually, that just hasn't turned in to be a whole lot. We got news earlier this week that uh, two sophomores in Jaden Shute and Christian Reeves both underwent surgeries that ended their season. Now they're both looking at kind of the redshirt possibility and what their futures might look like. Thought they could factor in after having one year of college basketball under their belt, playing more this year for Duke. And then it's it's Duke, right? They've got a lot of other freshmen that are ready to contribute and ready to play, whether that be somebody like uh, TJ Power or Sean Stewart. And they've come along the way a little bit, but still not a whole lot has been asked of them as much. Uh, and then you've got two other guys in Jalen Blakes and Ryan Young. Ryan Young has certainly um, carved out a role for himself. He was spectacular earlier this week against Virginia Tech. Uh, but just, again, not somebody that's asked to do so much for this Duke basketball team. And Jalen Blakes, as we've gotten into ACC play, has really kind of been absent, has, has not been a part mm. of what Duke's trying to do. So I think the injuries – have taught us this, that Duke feels really good about those six starters <laughs> and maybe one or two more, but for whatever reason, not not too deep of a basketball team, which I think could hurt them in the long run. But if they all do stay healthy, they're showing night in and night out that this is one of the top teams in the country. All right. Duke's depth at Ken Palm right now is using their bench 29.7% of the time. That's 223rd in the country. But as we can talk about in just a second, that's still more than the Tar Heels are using their bench. Speaking of which, we know now we're caught up and ready for Duke. We're going to switch chairs. I'm going to be in the hot seat. JJ will pepper me, and we'll do that in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl lead up to all those who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number Number one sports book. If you're like me, if you're like JJ, look, Super Bowl Sunday is all about finding a great seat, getting some good food and drinks, hanging out, watching everything that's going on, and maybe getting in on the prop bets. Honestly, it's so fun. Right now, the line for the game 49ers minus one and a half, but there's so many ways that FanDuel has that you can end your season with a W. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown how many points will be scored, and so much more. So new customers, join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. This is a Locked On crossover episode here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm JJ Jackson, the host of the Locked On Blue Devils Podcast, joined by Isaac Shade. He hosts Locked On Tar Heels, and we are ready for the first game on the basketball floor in this 2023-2024 season between these two schools. As we talked about a little bit earlier, anytime Isaac and I get to chop it up about these two teams, it's always a whole lot of fun. We know we get it once during football season, and then we're also getting a chance 
to do it two times in basketball. And who knows if an ACC tournament matchup will be on the horizon. And now we've seen it in the NCAA as well. So anything can happen. With that being said, let's talk a little bit more about this North Carolina team who is coming in after a tough loss earlier in the week in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. But prior to that, Isaac, my oh my, everyone in the country was wanting to talk about Hubert Davis and North Carolina. Ten-game winning streak. How were they able to get that done? Well, funnily enough, JJ, defense. (laughs) What? Yeah, this is a North Carolina team that has made their calling card the defensive end of the floor. Right now, as we record, I'm checking in real time. The Tar Heels are fourth in defensive efficiency at Ken Palm. Prior to the Georgia Tech game, entire 10-game winning streak, the Tar Heels had held every opponent to 70 or fewer points in that winning streak. And that's how they're doing it. Following, uh, they had back-to-back losses to UConn and Kentucky in mid-December. After that, they had a little bit of a break before playing Oklahoma and went about making some defensive changes, specifically with guarding um, screen action, pick and roll action. And that's been working really well. There, you know, I, I think a lot of people will remember uh, Jeremy Roach's kind of game-winning layup in the first uh, matchup last year, the game in Cameron, and his post-game comments were, uh, hey, uh, I knew they weren't talking, they weren't communicating, and I was going to get a layup out of it. And it was so true. That's part of what this team, you would not see happen this year. They're talking better, they're communicating more. And while the offense is strong, they're 19th in the country in offensive efficiency, it's the defense that is the calling card for these Tar Heels. You take a look at this North Carolina team, and similar to Duke, there are two names that we really know in this North Carolina squad that have had their moments individually in this Duke and UNC rivalry, and then a lot of new faces that Duke fans have seen throughout the course of the year but have not seen contribute to the greatest rivalry in college basketball. So let's talk about those two guys that we do know, namely Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis. The seasons that they're having so far for the Heels, Isaac, has been what? How would you describe them? Uh kind of reversed from who they've been, you know, previously in their careers, two years ago, um, Armando Baycott was the man for the Tar Heels, the guy that's the only player in NCAA history to have double doubles in all six NCAA tournament games. Like that kind of stuff is what he was doing this year. It's RJ Davis that has taken the helm. He's stepping up in not only his on-court play, but also just his, his voice as a leader. He's finding that for the first time in his career. R.J. Davis right now is the leading scorer in ACC play. You talked about Flip earlier. I love that we're going to get this uh, head-to-head matchup of the guys that are the clear front runners in the ACC Player of the Year race. It's going to be incredible. R.J. Davis has really stepped up um, his three-point shooting. He's shooting over 40% for the season. He is over 90% from the free throw line. He's doing it at all levels. The floater game is insane. Step back threes. Um, and part of this, and I know we'll talk about him more in a minute, is what Elliot Cadeau, as a true point guard, has enabled R.J. Davis to do off the ball. So that's a critical part of what he's doing this year as well. As for Armando Baycott, he has been playing lately more of a supplementary role, honestly, for this team. Um, for example, just one game in the last six in which he has attempted double-digit field goals. Uh, I, I think that alone kind of describes it. He's not an automatic double-double right now. Funnily enough, that is transfer Harrison Ingram, who again, we'll talk more about him. Baycott is playing a critical role for this team, but it's accepting more of a, a support role where he's helping the team win this year in different ways than he has before. 
It's very interesting to follow because you're right. Throughout his career, it feels as though he's been featured on the offensive end of the floor, and now with so many guys around him, you're able to feature other players and letting Baycott do kind of what he does best, right there around the rim, offensive rebound, scoring, uh, and, and take cleaning up everyone else's misses uh, and making them points for his own. So new faces in this year's North Carolina team. You mentioned a true freshman point guard that's contributed and a couple of transfers have uh, have factored in as well. Tell us about those new guys. Yes, absolutely. Well, there was a lot of attrition after North Carolina's letdown of a season last year. A lot of guys transferred out of the program, but that was an opportunity for Coach Davis to bring in several names. The guy that's been the key to all of that, the best of the transfers, has been Harrison Ingram, who came over from Stanford. He's somebody that Carolina initially recruited out of the Dallas area in high school. And at Stanford, he had to be the guy. So his efficiency numbers were just not there. But one of the things I've said all year about Harrison Ingram is his game allows him to thrive and be the guy when he doesn't have to be the guy. When he's third or fourth on the depth chart in terms of uh, what you're looking at when you're preparing a scout, that's where Harrison Ingram really comes into his own because he just does a lot of stuff really well. He plays a small ball four for the Tar Heels. He's kind of, I've been describing him as a less of a head case and a little bit better shooting Draymond Green is how you can kind of think about his game and what he does. Whereas Armando Baycott has not been racking up double-doubles, oh my word, Harrison Ingram is game after game right now. Had 19 rebounds recently in a game as a small ball four. So he's flying in, doing everything, um, is not a high-volume three-point shooter, but hits a lot. You know, it's right around 40%. Um, the big Achilles heel for Harrison Ingram is the free throw line. So when he gets there, it's about 56% or so. The other newcomers, uh, another guy in the starting lineup is Cormac Ryan, whom Duke fans will obviously know from his time at Notre Dame under Mike Bray. Um, he is struggling with his shot, like it, exactly at 30% from three dynamic from the free throw line and does a lot of other things to help the team, but really needs to get better from beyond the arc. And then Elliot Cadeau is the other starter, a true freshman who actually reclassed out of 24 to this class. Although by age, he would have been a freshman this year. He is a true pass first point guard. He's really been coming into his own in about the last three or four games in terms of recognizing, Hey, look, all these guys around me are veterans. I'm, I'm the newcomer, one of just two freshmen on this team. But I'm in this starting lineup and I'm here for a reason. So I got to step up and do it. So he's been attacking more, facilitating really well. The bugaboo with him right now is that the shot is not there. Well, we're talking about this North Carolina team in particular, the starters that are factoring in for the heels. You mentioned the bench a little bit earlier when we discussed that for Duke. Before we get to our final break, before we talk about some of these matchups and storylines and that sort of thing. Elaborate a little bit more, if you will, Isaac, on what exactly that bench looks like. We have seen the unlikeliest of heroes <laughs> step up for both teams right. in this great rivalry. Maybe that will be the case once again on Saturday. Who are some of those names that we might see coming off the bench? The two returners. Interestingly, Carolina only had four scholarship players return this year. We've already mentioned Baycott and Davis. The other two are both sophomores. Seth Trimble, who is the main bench player right now, is getting about 20 minutes a game. Sophomore, the younger brother of J.P. Tokato, who is a former Carolina player. Um, Seth Trimble is a backcourt player, the best individual defender on this team. So that's an interesting dynamic. Your best individual player is coming off the bench. He gets up into guys, doesn't mind doing that, and it'll probably be 
um, either Jeremy Roach or Tyrese Proctor when he's in, just depending on probably who has the hotter hand at the time. Really athletic guy. Um, doesn't take a lot of threes, but is very efficient when he does. He himself, uh, similar to Harrison Ingram, not a great free throw shooter, but he does a lot of stuff to help the team uber athlete. Uh, two other players I want to specifically mention off the bench are the Jalen's Jalen Withers, who transferred in from Louisville coming off a terrible year, not himself, but that team last year, um, is a North Carolina native loves being around this program and is really finding a niche for himself lately. Just doing a lot of little things to help the team win, whether it's a rebound or an athletic tip dunk or something of that nature. Can hit it from outside when he needs to, but that's not the main part of his game. And the other Jalen is Jalen Washington, who's the other returning scholarship player. Um, He will be the one to spell Armando Baycott at the five. Um, More slender than Baycott, more the guy that's going to step out, hit a baseline, got a silky J, um, can step out and hit it as well. But doesn't mind getting in, mixing it up a little bit inside as well, can get a block and a rebound for you. But really, it's those eight guys that you're going to see playing the majority of the minutes. It's going to be a fun one. It's Duke and it's North Carolina. It is the 49th time, all time, that these two teams have been ranked inside the AP Top 10. And we've got a crazy good matchup coming up tomorrow night. One more break, and then when we come back, we'll give you our thoughts on some matchups. And then prediction time, Duke and North Carolina. It's a Locked On crossover between Locked On Tar Heels and Locked On Blue Devils. Locked On has launched our first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. It's Locked On Sports Today, and it's here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every single league. Make sure you go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. After this show comes to a close, We encourage you to also go check out Locked On College Basketball. What a great Saturday it is. Four top ten matchups, including Duke and North Carolina. And our very own Isaac Shade, one of the co-hosts for Locked On College Basketball. So go check that out. Isaac, we got to wrap things up here. We got to talk about Duke and UNC. We got to talk about some of these matchups in particular. What's interesting to you when you look at these two teams and how they will match up on the court? Ooh, the biggest one to me, man, I lo- the matchups always play such a critical role. I remember no two years ago, you know, we talked a lot about, for example, how would Carolina guard Paolo Bancaro? Round one, it was Armando Baycott and Bancaro blitzed him. I mean, <laughs> laundry all over the floor. And then Carolina switched it to Brady Manick in the second game. So it's those kind of things because... One of the interesting things about this Duke team is you don't really have a true center in the starting lineup. It's flip. And so obviously it's going to be Armando Baycott guarding Kyle Filipowski. And I think there's going to be some pro and con for both teams on both sides of the court. So to me, that is the single most critical matchup in this game, JJ. I don't know if you're if you're feeling the same and seeing that. But I'm I'm really curious to see how Armando can stay with flip laterally and in space. And then on the other end, I'm really curious to see how Flip can do with Baycott, um, you know, like if he takes him in the post. Or Carolina has been pulling Baycott out some lately so that there are more lanes to the hoop for R.J. Davis and Elliott Cadeau. And so really curious to see both ways who can get the better of that matchup. 
Isaac, I'm right there with you. I think you look at this game in particular, these two players obviously were able to play against each other twice last year. Uh, but Kyle Filipowski is a guy that, that Duke is definitely going to need to get a lot out of, not only on the offensive end, but the defensive end as well. Armando Baycott, while he hasn't been featured, to your point, offensively for this North Carolina team, is still a really good basketball player. So Duke does need to be aware of what he's been able to do. And kind of going back to the depth piece of this Duke basketball team, you look at those per 40 numbers and you look at what Kyle Filipowski has been doing over the last few weeks, he struggled with foul trouble. Yeah. And if there's a lot of banging down low and it's a physical game, as this rivalry is known to be, Kyle Filipowski might not be out on the floor a whole lot. And then what does Duke do? Then Ryan you're Young? turning to a guy like Ryan Young, yeah. exactly, yeah. who's just not as athletic, not as nimble. And I think that frightens this Duke team mm. if you're asking Ryan Young to do a whole lot there on the interior. And then additionally from there, I think it's uh, you'll likely see Mark Mitchell take on the Harrison Ingram yep. responsibility. Yep. And then to me, Isaac, when you look at these guards, there are just so many for both teams that are so interchangeable. I'm really curious how you keep up with all those matchups that could happen. Yeah, it's going to be wild, JJ. And and like even getting outside of individual personnel, you know, we talked earlier about Carolina's defense being its strength. You're looking at Duke's stuff, Duke's offense is the strength. And so that specific side of the court is intriguing to me. Which strength really wins out in this thing? And maybe that even means that on the other end, the Carolina offense against the Duke defense is something that we're going to have to pay a lot of attention to. So which of those four units is really able to assert their will more um, over the others? Yeah, I'll add with that Duke offense in particular, uh, typically, if you look at the last decade plus of Duke basketball and you look at all the, the top 10 picks and the one and done factory that it has turned into from time to time, you think about running and gunning and just getting up the floor as quickly as you can and let's be athletic as possible. That has not been the case with this Duke team at all. And you could argue that they've got the athletes to do that. But you go back to Monday night this week in a game against Virginia Tech. You hear Tyrese Proctor after the game talk about, look, we wanted to really take pride on the defensive end of the floor mm. so that we could dictate the pace and get into our half-court sets. Using those same Kim Palm numbers and offensive efficiency, Duke is one of the absolute best teams in running half-court offense, which is crazy to think about in a rivalry <laughs> that has had so many breakaway plays, high-scoring games, Duke in a lot of ways – wants to kind of slow it down a little bit and run that half-court offense, find open shooters, share the basketball, because this Duke team is, for Carolina fans out there, this Duke team is one of their best three-point shooting teams that we've seen in the last six, seven, eight years. So be very careful of Duke getting some of those open looks from the outside. Ooh, baby. And there's so much on the line in terms of standings, JJ, by virtue of Carolina losing at Georgia Tech earlier this week. This is a game for first place because if Duke wins, you're tied in the loss column, but Duke currently would have the tiebreaker. So this is an opportunity for Carolina to either widen the gap or Duke to knot it up. So big, big ACC regular season implications as well. JJ. We obviously don't have the FanDuel line yet, but Ken Palm predicts this game right now, Carolina minus six. Let's make some predictions and let's get out of here. You got a basketball game to call soon. Yes, absolutely. Excited to be doing that and excited to watch this game uh, between Duke and North Carolina on Saturday. 
uh, I'm, I'm guilty of this, Isaac. I'm guilty of always having kind of those Duke glasses on and, and looking at all these things from a Duke perspective. And as people are well aware, I don't know that there has ever truly been a Duke-North Carolina game where I haven't been able to pick Duke to win, right? Like, that's just who I am. I know a lot of North Carolina fans feel the same way. It's like, oh, this game, we're going to win. I, I do feel like this Duke team has started to turn a corner. I do feel like they are able to uh, stay healthy out there on the floor on Saturday. While there are concerns uh, in certain areas with the Duke basketball team in terms of, you know, staying out of foul trouble, taking care of the basketball, I, I just love the way they're playing on the offensive end of the floor right now. I think they're going to be able to move the ball quite well, and I see Duke winning a very close one in mm -hmm. Chapel Hill. That's what I'm going to go with. I love it. Listen, JJ, I'm putting my colored glasses on as well. Let's Please be honest. Please do. Please do. <laughs> um, two critical things I'm watching for. How do the Tar Heels respond to their first loss in a long time? Yep. And who can help R.J. Davis score the basketball? Uh, he was kind of alone. No other Tar Heels were in double figures on uh, Tuesday night in Atlanta. He needs help. It cannot be R.J. Davis alone, whether it's Armando Baycott or Harrison Ingram or Cormac Ryan getting hot. Somebody else has to be there. I, J.J., I'm going to go Carolina to win, but not cover that six points. Give me a two-point victory for the Tar Heels. Let's go 72-70. Low-scoring affair with both these teams playing a little more a bit deliberately than they typically do. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to watch this game unfold. It's always an amazing presentation. We've got college game day up and running on ESPN early in the morning from Chapel Hill. And uh, again, 49th meeting all time with these two teams inside the top 10. It's like 30 plus over the next team of top 10 matchups there. Let's just continue to treasure the yes. beautiful rivalry yes. that this thing is and uh, hope that our team certainly win at the end. So do want to say thank you to everyone for watching and following along. Subscribe to our YouTube channels. What a fun lockdown crossover this has been. Sign us out here, Isaac. Oh, JJ, you're the man. For JJ Jackson of Locked On Blue Devils, I'm Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels. Let's get after it this weekend. Going to be a great matchup, but don't forget, there's a whole nother 40 minutes coming at the end of the regular season. Enjoy it, everyone, and we'll talk to you again soon. But until then, peace.